0: Welcome in to another edition of the Diamond Vols podcast. I am Ben McKee joined as always by Eric Kane. Eric, my friend, how are you? Oh well man,
1: ready for some more weekend baseball.
0: Thats <laughs> short and simple, huh?
1: Hey, it's uh, w- w- when you uh, when you got to pay attention to a team that's fun to watch, it's it is that simple. Now <laughs> it's not always that simple to to know how you're gonna dissect things uh, you know, in terms of pitching, but uh, it's simple overall. It is it is
0: indeed and this weekend should be a fun weekend of baseball Auburn a top 25 team uh, a team that that looks pretty strong on paper Uh, not as good as Tennessee that is for sure but uh, it'll be a fun matchup to watch this weekend and it'll be a fun matchup to preview and we will do that a little later on in the podcast but first. We're going to start with Tennessee's midweek win. The Vols beat Xavier 10-1 to on Tuesday night. And the story, yet again, Eric, was Xander Seacrest, the sophomore lefty, made his eighth midweek start of the season against the Musketeers, and he improved to 4-0 because he was awesome. Once again, uh, 5.1 scoreless innings of work. He struck out six on 75 pitches. Uh, as he worked into the sixth inning, only allowed two hits, just one walk. Xander Seacrest, man, he is so fun to watch pitch. I know it's a midweek game. You got to take it with a grain of salt because of the competition. Now, Xavier, uh, a little bit different than some of the other teams that he has faced uh, to this point in the season. A couple of weeks ago, if you remember, Xavier went to South Carolina and beat down the Gamecocks 15-4. to uh, I, I want to say they they were pretty competitive with Alabama in a three-game series early in the year. Uh, I believe they were somewhat competitive against Vandy. They, they lost by one at, at Louisville, uh, I, I believe. At least they were competitive in, in that matchup. Uh, so Xavier, much different, although 21 and 20, much different than the other midweek contests Xander Seacrest has started.
1: But once again, he was amazing. I mean, I've been impressed. I think everybody's been impressed with uh, with Xander Seacrest, and you know, we continue to talk about the pitching, and you know, with Tidwell coming back, and you know, the Olander and, and Beam and Burns, of course, and this bullpen, and um, you know, Ben Joyce and all, all that. But I mean, Xander Seacrest has been just a model of consistency pretty much through uh, throughout the midweek starts. You know, there were a couple of weeks whenever, obviously, Blade Tidwell got in there and, and got the start, though he only went about an inning or two in those starts. And uh, but he's been he's been really really good and. Um, you know, sometimes you know, midweek games are weird. A lot of times you, you you ride with your starter for four or five innings and you just throw your bullpen. Some of those games that Tidwell started, of course, it was to get all the guys in, you know, working throughout the week and the lineups are different. The competition is different and all that. I understand all that, but he has been really, really impressive and uh, a guy that's another option for Tennessee. If you need long relief, if you need piggyback options, if you need just a guy that's ready to roll, that's been pitching well, Xander Seacrest is one of the more underrated guys on this team in terms of guys we just don't talk about, but he's he's been awesome.
0: Yeah, and, and we really went on depth or went in depth on Xander uh, last week previewing Florida. I believe it was that pod. Maybe it was the one before, but we, we had a pretty lengthy discussion of uh, the our preference that at some point we see Xander uh, against more legitimate competition and not faulting Tony Vitello or Frank Anderson. When we say that uh, it's, it's nobody's fault that uh, Xander hasn't had an opportunity to pitch against better competition. Well, it's
1: their fault for recruiting so well, I guess. Right?
0: <laughs> yes. It, it, it is their fault for recruiting that well, but uh, in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's nobody's fault. It's just, something that we are eager to see. Can this translate against better competition? I think that it that it will uh, because anybody who knows me, I'm a diehard New York Yankees fan, and every fifth day I sit up here and I watch a guy named Nestor Cortez who is a lefty, and if you have not seen what he does on the mound and, and you are a baseball fanatic like us, just YouTube what he does. He is the pro version of Xander. When, when we had that Xander – conversation recently if you recall I talked about how what makes him effective is yes he has nasty stuff but what makes him even more effective if is is how he plays with the hitters timing and uh, a little slide step he'll go quick with it he'll go slow with it uh, he, he his late kick he, he goes slow with it he goes quick with it uh, he, he really messes with the the timing of hitters although he doesn't have overpowering stuff his changeup and his slider is filthy but it's fastball I think it hit 90 once uh, against Xavier and he is the professional version or I guess the college version of Nestor Cortez this pitcher who has really come on with the Yankees of late and nobody can hit him I even asked uh, Xander down in Gainesville this past weekend when I saw him walking by and Uh, I always like to mess with him because he revealed to us last week that his superstition is the amount of bubble gum he chews during the game. He's a double bubble guy. He starts with four pieces in his mouth, starts the game with four double bubble pieces in his mouth, and he puts two in his back pocket. And at some point he'll be the judge whether Tennessee needs to rally whether he, he just feels like he needs some extra flavor to go along with the other four pieces. He will add those two extra pieces in his back pocket to those four pieces. And, and so I've, I've been messing with him lately. He was telling me he has the strongest jaw in the SEC, this and that, and and, and then we got to talking about, I, I asked him, me being the Yankees, and I was like, hey, have you seen Nesta Cortez pitch? And he's like, oh, yeah, I've, I've seen him pitch. Uh, so I think that his stuff would translate from midweek competition to SEC competition, because I see the, the same effectiveness of his style of, of pitching working in the major leagues. And if it can work in the major leagues, it can work in college.
1: Yeah. And, you know, hopefully we'll get to see more of that, you know, as, as, as this time here goes on, obviously <laughs> I, you know, uh, again, it's an embarrassment of riches uh, here at the university of Tennessee, but he just kind of continues what he's doing. The, the messing up with the timing. It, it's so frustrating for a hitter because, and I do remember when we had this conversation, because you said baseball is all about timing and it, it's, you know, if you're hitting, it's all about timing and for forgot to, you know, go fast on or low, low, and pause and wait and, and drag that back toe or whatever the case may be, or, or that front toe, excuse me. It is so frustrating for the hitter at the plate. It's frustrating for the runner on the base pass. All the times they can be hung out the drive because they misjudge and miss time when the pitcher is going to go. And um, that's what Xander Seacrest does. So Tennessee has got a really, really nice weapon in the midweek who could be used on weekends and probably will have to be relied on in big time games. I mean, you know, we're we're moving through this season, right? Uh the postseason's just a couple of weeks away now. Um, you know, do or die time, you're gonna need a guy to come in and, and pitch a couple of innings, and Xander Secrets again will be an option for Tennessee, one of the many options.
0: His opportunity is going to come. Uh, even this past weekend at Florida, he was up in the bullpen, stretching, tossing lightly. Uh, Tennessee did not go to him out of the bullpen, but Last two or three weekends, he he's been down there at some point, kind of stretching, stirring around, walking around, getting getting a little bit loose, and uh, his opportunity is going to come. And if he makes the most of it, then he'll continue to pitch more and more um, as this season uh, gets to the important part of the season. So something to keep an eye on. Uh, house cleaning. Notes on the rest of that performance on Tuesday night. Other guys who got the pitch, Ben Joyce, he came in and did Ben Joyce things, had a pair of strikeouts to finish the sixth inning, and then he handed the ball to Kirby Cannell, who pitched 1.1 innings. Kirby did not allow a run, a hit, or a walk and struck out one. The, those were the main guys that pitched, Ben Joyce and Kirby. Uh, and then you got into some freshman action. Uh, Grant Cherry pitched. He's a true freshman righty. Uh, He relieved Kirby with one out in the eighth. And after back-to-back two-out walks, uh, Tony Vitello went to the bullpen to bring in fellow freshman Wyatt Evans, the lefty that we have discussed here on the pod. Uh, Wyatt did a good job of picking up a strikeout to end the inning and strand the runners and at that time preserved the shutout. And then it took Drew Patterson and Hollis Fanning pitching the ninth inning. Uh, Drew Patterson started the ninth freshman lefty, uh, and he started with back-to-back strikeouts. But after a two-out triple and uh, I believe a single, uh, Tony brought in Hollis Feigning to get out of the or get the final out of the game, which he did. So nothing too noteworthy in terms of who pitched after uh, Xander. The the other big story, if you want to call it that, Eric, about the midweek game is that the bats really produced, scored double digits. Uh Cortland Lawson was the, the the anchor uh, th- this go around. Uh, Drew Gilbert had an RBI single in the first inning. Cortland Lawson hit a two run homer in the second inning. He then hit a sacrifice fly in, in the fourth inning, made it four to nothing, and then Tennessee scored six runs um, in the sixth inning uh, to to put up their ten spot. Uh, the Xavier right fielder dropped the third out of the inning, <laughs> which allowed two runs to score. And then that opened up the floodgate. Seth Stevenson, he hit an RBI single. Jordan Beck, he hit a two run double. Logan Steenstra, he hit an RBI single. So uh, the bat's really effective for a midweek
1: game. Yeah, it was uh, 10 runs off nine hits. And of course, you mentioned a couple of those runs coming in via uh, the error defensively, a couple of errors for Xavier. Um, it, you know, it was just n- nothing. I don't want to say nothing was too impressive. I mean, you put up 10 runs and it was top to bottom production from the lineup, but. I mean, Tennessee only had one guy who had multiple hits, and that was Trey Lipscomb. Lipscomb finished the day two for four. Everybody else just went one four or oh four. You know, a Lawson, as you mentioned, one for two, two run bomb, drove in three. That's you really really like that. But I mean, you just look up and down the lineup, very evenly balanced. Everybody's getting a little piece, and I mean it was just a it was a good midweek Tennessee baseball win against a, a team team and Xavier, that is not awful, not awful at all, but certainly, you know, more the the the, the more complete uh, midweek competition, I guess, is what you're kind of facing. So um, I was there. I told you this. I text you this. I had I mean, I never been to like the porch scene out there at Lindsay Nelson. That was a whole lot of fun. I know a lot of you guys listening right now and gals listening probably have taken part in that. I mean, that that is a time that that is I mean, that's a really, really cool atmosphere. So that's what I did. I had fun. I wasn't too drunk. I'm just kidding. I don't want drunk at all, but I did drink me some beers. I had a good time. It was a good time.
0: Must be nice to not to work and just and not work.
1: Li- live the life, right? I know you should try it <laughs> sometime.
0: You sound like awesome price. Uh, the other thing to discuss. Before <laughs> hey, Rob, we...
1: Rob's out there too. Sometimes.
0: Yeah. Austin and Rob. If you ever don't know where Austin and Rob is on a Friday and Saturday night, if, if Tennessee baseball has a home game, you can find them out on the porches. Uh, before we preview this weekend, Eric Kane. Uh, I want to mention uh, some some draft tidbits. Uh, Jonathan Mayo, who covers the draft and the minors for MLB.com and MLBpipeline.com, uh, put out his first mock draft for the 2022 MLB draft, which will take place here in uh, July. And he had three Tennessee players going in the first round. Pretty incredible. You'll like this one. Blade Tidwell, a.k.a. Titty, going 21 overall to the Braves. Jordan Beck, the next pick, going 22 overall to the Seattle Mariners. And then Drew Gilbert sneaking into the first round,
1: going number 30 overall to the Giants. Yeah, uh, forgive me. I'm not sure whose mock it was, but it was earlier this week. I saw one of those same three being mocked for first round. I saw Tidwell going as high as eleven to the Mets, but you know, a long way away for sure. But regardless, three guys getting first round love—no surprise. That's awesome. And as this Atlanta Braves fan, I would love, love <laughs> to have Blade Tidwell. Love it. Would love it. I—I I mean,
0: I, I think those those ranges are, are pretty accurate. Uh, I, I think Blade and Beck both are going to be from that ten to. 25 range i think they're a mid first round pick both
1: of them uh, i think for confident Blade, those those guys being first round picks regardless at least i do yes absolutely drew as i was going to say is
0: is definitely more of a, a late first round pick and 20. if he doesn't get drafted late in the first round he'll, he'll definitely be one of the first picks in the second round uh, <laughs> he will not stay on the board long even if he does not go in the first round uh, but it does seem like he's gaining some steam and will sneak into the back end of the first. But Blade, I, I think Blade really has the chance to 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 skyrocket up, up draft boards. I don't think that he would go in the top 10 because of the the shoulder issue to start the year, but all it takes is one team falling in love with you. And he is going to be one of the better pitchers in the draft, so not going to rule it out but if he can really come back in the second half of the season and just pitch the way people expected him to pitch this season and he goes in the postseason and goes to hoover the regionals goes to omaha and puts up some some pretty terrific outings he might sneak into the top 10 he he, he's at 21 right now i don't think he would be 21 if he hadn't been dealing with that
1: injury i I think he'd be Top 15, he has a lot to gain this next two months. I mean, there's a lot of baseball left too. Yeah, you're exactly right. He's got a whole lot to gain and he'll get plenty of opportunities now that um he is back. He is stretched out. He'll continue to get, I mean, as Tony, you know, mentioned earlier today, he'll continue to pitch more and more. But I mean, he's yeah, he's back and he's ready to go. And he looked so good against Florida. And so uh there's a lot of ground, as you pointed out, to, to be made there for Blade Tidwell, who I think for sure is going to be a first-round pick. Uh, ben, correct me. Um, it's been a couple of years since I've worked in, in minor league baseball. Uh, they are at 10 rounds now, right? They went to five in the year of the pandemic, but they, they're still at 10? They're at 20. They were at, they're at All right, 20, 20 Okay, this they past cut it. year. Okay, yeah. Maybe it was 10 this past year, and they're up to 20 this year. They cut it from 40 to like five the year of the pandemic. Yes. It's like, what what are you doing? <laughs> you know, And then right. it, it's been kind of jumping around there. But regardless, there's going to be – these Tennessee players don't have to worry about that because they're going to be well up the draft boards. Yes, and I think that
0: ultimately is what this mock draft speaks to is just the health of the baseball program. I mean, oh yeah. They're they're on the verge of potentially three first round picks, which is incredible. And what what's even more incredible is looking ahead to to the next draft, Chase Dolander is going to be a top 10 pick and then the draft after that chase burns is going to be a top 10 pick. And who knows what drew beam turns out to be. I mean, at this point it's hard not to project him as a, as a first round pick in in the future as well. And that's just the pitchers, right? I mean, we're not even talking to say there's a couple other
1: more and true (laughs) freshmen on this team that we could be in in that category as well. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, good to see there Uh, looking ahead
0: to this weekend, Kane. I've been pretty impressed by this Auburn team of late and hard not to be because they they have been winning uh, a lot of baseball games of late. They'll enter this weekend number 19 in the country, and that is because they have won seven in a row and a pretty impressive turnaround after a season last year where they went 10-20 and in SEC play. They were snake bitten in close games. They dropped ten games by one run, and another six games by two runs. So last season, you you had the the tools to be successful, just could not put it together. Lost a, a ton of close games. Sixteen games you lost by two runs or fewer, which is incredible. Uh, they also dealt with some injuries and and some shaky pitching, and most of what they had last year. Has returned. They've added the best hitter in college baseball. Sonny D is his nickname, which is just a, a tremendous name. Uh, Sonny Deshera, who who is a transfer from Sanford just down the road there uh, in Birmingham from Auburn, and again, he's he's been the best hitter in, in college baseball uh, this year. But they they had those key pieces returning, and they they've they've got it going on right now. They they've all gelled together. Again, they enter the weekend riding a seven-game winning streak. They've won 12 of their last 15. Uh, they're 11 and five away from their home park, seven and four in true road games. Uh, their 11 wins away from home are tied for the most in the conference with Tennessee. They're 10 and five in its last five series. In the in the midst of the best 30-game conference stretch since 2010, with an 18 and 12 SEC record. They've won
1: four of its last five road series.
0: Uh they, they they've got it going on. They're they're on fire right now.
1: I mean, just look at the look at the recent series they've played. I mean, they they they've looked good. Swept South Carolina, did drop a series against Mississippi State, but took two or three from Vandy, took two or three from LSU, took two or three from Texas and uh dropped a series to Old Miss going all the way back to mid-March. Um, you know, and then that's before the before the SEC schedule uh, started. Uh, played a couple of uh Couple of common opponents. They too, they too played a four game uh series against the uh the the, the wonderful t- team that is Rhode Island didn't beat them as bad as Tennessee did, but those were some lopsided victories. Um this is a really, really good team. You look at the ERAs or the starting staff, they're they really, really sharp. They've had a couple of game twos to get away from them a little bit. That's something I did notice, but overall it's looked good. You mentioned the the lineup. I mean, you know, Sonny D there. I mean, he's sitting almost five hundred. I mean, that is I, mean, I don't care what level you're at. That, that's incredible, right? I mean, you're hitting 448 on the season. But leading the team in average, in uh, home runs, and RBI, um, he is all over the place, and he's not alone. So I do think I, – I agree kind of with Tony Vitello what he said earlier today. This is a team that's very comparable to Alabama. This is a team that is going to give you everything they have. They're feeling themselves right now. And, um, you know, Tennessee should win. Tennessee's the better, better baseball team, and Tennessee should win this series. But it's going to be a challenge for sure, in my opinion. Yes, and I I really like the pitching matchups on
0: paper. Yeah uh, on on Friday night, which oh by the way, Friday and Saturday night both at seven p.m. Eastern, both on television. Yes, <laughs> I know folks have been complaining about that. Both will be on the SEC network, and Tennessee great Chris Burke will be on the
1: call. Yeah, that'll be fun. That'll be that'll be a whole lot of fun. I know that. Uh... Todd Helton was – la- it was two weekends ago. Todd Helton was with Kessling on the on the, on the plus Against all Bam weekend L- long. So, uh, yeah, that, that'll be fun, man. Burke's good. Yes, but uh,
0: aside from <laughs> the games being on television, I really like the pitching matchups on on paper in terms of just being able to show up to the ballpark and, and watch good baseball. We, we should get that this weekend. Friday night, you'll get Hayden Mullins, a junior lefty. Who is two and one with a three point five five ERA? He'll go up against Chase Burns. Burns is now seven and one on the season, a two point twelve ERA. And then on Saturday, Blake Tidwell will in fact start. Chase Dollander going to be held out at least one more weekend. Uh, Blake Tidwell one and zero with a one point five nine ERA. He'll be going up against a junior right-hander Trace Bright, who is two and four with a 4.24 ERA, and then Sunday is the one that I'm really circling. Excited to see how Drew Beam bounces back. Drew Beam yep. 8-0 and in the season, 1.86 ERA. But this Joseph Gonzalez, I almost called him a kid. Don't, don't want to call him a kid, but this young man is putting together, in my opinion, the most underrated season in the SEC by a pitcher. He is 6-0 with a 1.71 ERA. He pitched seven scoreless innings against South Carolina last Sunday. He's turned in four straight quality starts in the SEC, which is the first Auburn pitcher to do so since Casey Mize, a big-time name right there, Uh, in 2018. He's the first Auburn pitcher to win four straight SEC starts. Uh, He has not issued a walk and has a 1.13 ERA in his last three outings. No walks in his last three outings. Tells you a lot about that young man. Uh, he's second in the SEC in ERA. Uh, third during SEC play in ERA. Uh, has a big-time sinker uh, that is a uh, high-velocity for a sinker, 90-92 miles per hour, and then the fastball sits mid-90s. I'm excited to watch him pitch on on Sunday, but I'm also excited to, to see some of the – the pitching storylines unfold for Tennessee as well this weekend. Eric, Blade getting another start. And if you if you read the tea leaves, does not seem like Blake Tidwell is going to be leaving the starting rotation anytime soon. And then can Chase Burns stack a, another good outing after bouncing back last Friday? And then can Drew Beam also bounce back from his first average
1: start of the season? First of all, you sound 80 years old when you say young man. Just want to put that out there. <laughs> uh, this Joseph Gonzalez guy's a stud. Leading leading Auburn with 47 innings and a third. 34 strikeouts and seven walks on the season. So you're right. I'm really, really looking forward to that. For Drew Beam, too, like, uh, of course, you want to see that bounce bat because that's uh, like Chase Burns. He had two weeks where he did not look himself, and that's okay. You're a true freshman game, you know, Friday night game starter. You know what does Drew Beam look like? How does he respond? And if you're Drew Beam, Drew Beam, I mean, you know, like you know what's about to happen. You know, does does that give him a ne- another little you know tick in the velocity? Does that give him a little bit more confidence? You know, can he go out there and just just shove it? You know, and and, and I'm I expect him to do that, right? I mean, he's a competitor, and so I'm really excited to watch that Sunday game, like you said, because the pitching matchup is incredible. I've talked to some Auburn people that I know, and and they believe that. T- Tennessee will blow them out of the water on Friday night, the one Saturday night. And then uh, if they're going to take a, a game, this series, it will be on Sunday. Um, and obviously with Joseph Gonzalez, you have a chance to do that. So I'm excited to see what this series looks like pitching wise, really pumped about the the matchup on Sunday. And then, like you said, you know, with the series shifting to Thursday through Saturday, we could see a whole lot of movement in terms of, you know, who's, who's staying, who's going, You know, moving in terms of who's starting one, two, three, in terms of the games on the weekends, if you keep Burns where he is, should be a whole lot of fun, right? You get to play manager. Well, we don't. Tony Vitello does, obviously, but, you know, it's fun to speculate.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and Joseph Gonzalez, he's the first one that you talk about in Auburn's rotation, but also Hayden Mullins, a lefty from West Tennessee. Tony Vitello talked on Thursday about how he's a guy that Tennessee wanted out of high school and he has a 3.55 ERA which is which is good maybe you'd like it a tick lower but what my point is is that he's really come on during SEC play he he started all 6 SEC weekends and is 1 and 0 with a 3.16 ERA last weekend against South Carolina pitched a career high 5.1 innings which isn't All that's something to to brag about, but uh, I guess if you haven't done it to that point, pitching into the sixth inning is significant. Uh, And then how about earlier in SEC play Uh, against two good lineups against Vandy? He struck out a career high nine and then against Ole Miss, and Ole Miss was number one at the time. He earned his first career win against Ole Miss. So uh, it's not just Joseph Gonzalez in, in terms of talking about, main guys uh Hayden Mullins the lefty uh, on Friday he he's one to watch Uh and it, it it's a lefty you just never know Uh Tennessee has swung the bats well against lefties in general but you just never know when a when a lefty may may make it interesting it's just kind of a thing in baseball it, it
1: seems to happen out of nowhere opponents are hitting only 196 against Hayden Mullins and then against Joseph Gonzalez that we've been raving about, opponents are hitting 258. Now 258 is not, you know, it's not a great average, but ain't bad, right? So I mean it's it's kind of interesting how you know teams have been hitting Gonzalez a little bit harder than they've been hitting Mullins, and that's a credit to Mullins, a Friday night starter, that you know has a really, really good ERA. Yeah, and the difference in the two is Mullins
0: has given up 24 walks. Gonzalez mm-hmm. seven walks on the season. So uh, there's, there's the difference in those two right there. They also have some big time arms coming out of the bullpen. And I I think that's what separates Alabama and Auburn. I like that comparison from Tony V uh, but I do think what maybe nudges Auburn just ahead a little bit is uh, the two top guys out of the bullpen and That is Blake Burkhalter and Carson Skipper. Uh, Auburn is first in the SEC in saves, and that's because Burkhalter has 11 11 saves this season, which is pretty incredible. Uh, He's three away from tying the Auburn single-season record. Uh, He leads the SEC in saves, as you can imagine, and he is fourth in the country. Uh, His current 11 is tied for sixth most in program history. Uh, He became the first Auburn pitcher last weekend uh, and the first pitcher in the SEC since 2017 to record three saves in a series. He recorded three last weekend against Carolina. Uh, He had 12 strikeouts (laughs) in 5.2 innings pitched, which is absurd for a guy out of the bullpen. You can certainly see why they rely on him. He's a junior. He's a righty. The other guy that they rely on is Carson Skipper. He's a senior. He's a lefty. He was their most dependable bullpen arm down the stretch last season, and and now he co-owns that title with Blake Burkhalter, uh, the save man that I was just mentioning. He went 5.1 innings last week and had six strikeouts, three holds. And for those of you who are new to baseball, a hold is when a reliever comes in the game. If, if he comes in the game in, in a 4-2 game, it's 4-2 when he exits. He, he holds the lead. Uh, so those two have been really key for them out of the bullpen, and uh, they, they are a dynamic duo. Uh, last week against Carolina, I, I talked about how both individually were uh, combined. They were 2-0 with three saves, didn't allow a run, no walks, 18 strikeouts. And they combined eight appearances and 11 innings last week. So those are the guys that you'll have to pay attention to. But on the flip side of that, Eric, what has gotten Auburn in trouble this year is their lack of depth. They have some nice arms at the top, but there's not a whole lot of depth there. And when when they have lost games, most of the time it's been because of the bullpen arms. Aside from those
1: two have let them down. Yeah, Bur- Burkhalter, 20 appearances on the season, which is a lot of appearances. He's a guy that can pitch two innings if you need to. He's got 31 innings and a third logged on the year with 48 strikeouts and seven walks. And so that's just incredible. But you're right. You got two, you got good starters. You got two really, really good arms out of the bullpen. And then the rest is a little bit suspect, where for Tennessee, of course, you have your favorites. Obviously, Ben Joyce is going to throw every single, you know, twice a series, usually. Um, you know, Camden Sewell is going to pitch a lot. You know, Redmond Walsh is going to pitch. You know, Will Mabry is going to pitch. But, I mean, even beyond that, I mean, Tennessee's got such quality depth at the bullpen that's just been so huge. It's been, uh, you know, monumental for Tennessee all season long. And that's why – a big reason why, not the only reason why, obviously. Um, you know, but, but that's a big reason why Tennessee is the number one team in the country and it's been playing so dominant all season long because you're getting it done with the lineup. You're getting it done in the starts, and the bullpen has been just – just incredible um and and so I mean that's uh, the more and more as the season goes on that's just I continue to be so impressed everybody talks about Chase burns and and Dolander and and beam and Tidwell and this lineup and Lipscomb and and Beck and all that and it's just man this bullpen is so good so um that'll be a chance to where Tennessee can really get Auburn is the the more you get in the bullpen and you keep pushing and pushing and pushing uh, the, the better you're gonna be because you know Auburn is going to be a good team this is going to be a good series it's going to be a a really competitive series, in my opinion.
0: It's it's just a, a weird conundrum of, okay, Auburn has pretty good starters. They have two guys out of the bullpen, but they really rely on those two guys out of the bullpen. So yeah. <laughs> how, how much can you really get into the bullpen? Uh, that'll be something interesting to, to see play out because even if you chase the starter early then they're going to these two guys now here's the opposite side of that the the good thing is from the Auburn perspective is like oh look look what all these guys have done to this point in the season look look how many times they've been able to be reliable you got to start to imagine that fatigue may set in at some point I mean each guy pitched in each game against South Carolina last weekend so who, who knows if that could have and affect this weekend. Aside from those two main guys, Blake Burke, Halter, and Carson Skipper, there's four other Auburn relievers who have pitched at least double-digit innings this season. And out of those four, only one has an ERA worth bragging about. Jordan Armstrong, he's a senior, 25 innings, 4.32 ERA. Carson Swilling, a sophomore righty, 19 innings pitched, a 5.68 ERA. Uh, Tommy Sheehan, uh, a graduate transfer from Notre Dame. He is coming off of Tommy John, uh, so he certainly has the potential. He was a Friday night starter in the ACC at Notre Dame, uh, but again had Tommy John, and and he's been working back from that. So so you do take this with a grain of salt, but he has a 7.23 ERA in 18 innings, and then it's the freshman that is the one out of those four who have pitched double digits aside from the two main guys, double digit innings, that has an ERA worth bragging about. Chase Alsup, uh, a freshman, uh, 17.1 innings this season, uh, 2.08 ERA. So he he has been really, really good. He was the crown jewel uh, of their freshman class, and he has a heater that gets up to 97, 98, has a really good slurve and a developing changeup. So that is something... To keep an eye on. But again, the, the difference in pitching, I think, will, will once again be the key to this weekend for Tennessee, just like it was at at Florida, uh, because to me, it was the bullpen that won the series for Tennessee at Florida. Blake Tidwell was awesome, but he was on a pitch count, only got to pitch in to the fifth inning. Camden Sewell saved that game, won Tennessee that game. Uh, obviously, Blade had a big impact, but. Uh, again it wasn't necessarily the starting pitching that had been so dominant from the beginning of the series to the end of the series that we saw at the beginning for the first half of Tennessee season Sunday Drew Beam he struggles you have to have Will Mabry come in Mark McLaughlin come in those two guys have to calm the storm then then you get into extra innings and Raymond Walsh does his thing Friday night uh, Chase Burns, he, he was really good. But for some reason, it, it still didn't really feel like a, a vintage Chase Burns outing. Maybe, maybe that's me. Maybe, maybe I need to readjust my thinking. I just have really high standards for Chase Burns. And again, he was really, really good. It just didn't seem like the typical best version of Chase Burns. And he he was able to work out of some jams, and you give him credit for that. Uh, But it was... You know, the back end of the bullpen coming in and and saving that game. And, and granted, there, there wasn't really a ton of pressure moments at, at the end of that game because Tennessee had that big uh, inning there in the second inning. But the bullpen was the difference is my point. And I think that'll be the case once again. And it's what we've been talking about all year. Why is Tennessee the best team in the country? Yes, they have dominant starting pitching. Yes, they have a terrific lineup. They have one of the best offenses in the country, if not the best, probably is the best, but all that does not matter. The the lineup does not matter. Dominant starting pitching does not matter if your bullpen can't close out games, and that has been the difference between Tennessee and everybody else in the country this year.
1: Yep, it absolutely has, and and even in that Friday night game, you didn't need the bullpen to win the game. I know what you're trying to say, but – as we spoke on, it was good to see Ben Joyce work out of the jam, kind of a uh, higher leverage type situations, but nothing like the the other two games. And I think for Chase Burns too, at least I'll speak on my behalf. Um, I mean, yeah, I've got high standards for him too, but I was just so relieved that he got back on track on that Friday night to where I'm just like, okay, your strikeouts are back up, your walks are down, you know, you, you worked, you know, you worked into the ball game deep. And so I'm like, okay, well, you're, you know, it's, you failed to get to the fifth inning or really, no, you failed to get to, you know, through the fourth inning the last two weeks. And so uh, maybe that's just kind of how I viewed it, but Tennessee's bullpen is just incredible and you know, unsung heroes for this team. You know, we, we again, we've talked about it so much. Will Mabry, uh, you know, one that comes to mind. Raymond Walsh is always one that comes to mind and uh, big, you know, Camden Sewell has always been a guy, you know, he, he's one to come to mind. And so like, that's a big reason why Tennessee is where it is and, Big reason for the two wins, two of the three wins in last week's series, and could be vital in this one because uh, I do believe it's going to be a challenge.
0: It it was the three walks for Chase Burns that were kind of throwing me off. Um, And and I I think he would say the same thing. Look, he was really good. I'm just saying it wasn't the dominant Chase Burns that maybe we saw the first month, month and a half of the season leading up to the Missouri, Alabama outings and, and, more so just trying to make the point that it was Tennessee's bullpen that separated Tennessee from Florida because Florida got great starting pitching all weekend, uh, aside from Friday night, and they they got swept. <laughs> and it feels like doom yeah. and gloom there. And it was because of the, the Tennessee bullpen. Looking at this Auburn lineup, it's one that is playing really well right now, Eric. We, we talked about Sonny D in the three hole what what an awesome nickname <laughs> just what an awesome nickname I, I, are you a sunny d uh liquid Do you like the the drink sunny d not really uh I mean, not, not really but mic. i can respect Shut the nickname Quit talking.
1: i can respect yeah. the nickname okay
0: well if you appreciated sunny d the drink you'd appreciate sunny d the nickname even more i love <laughs> me some sunny d uh but the the baseball player sunny d leads the country in on base percentage leads the country in batting average and is fifth In slugging percentage. He's reached base in all 38 games this season, Eric, 40 straight games going back to last season. He's reached base in 35 of 38 games multiple times this year and multiple times in 17 of 18 SEC games. Point is, the guy gets on base. It is pretty remarkable how often he is on base. He hits in the three-hole. Uh, and, and it's been – we talk about the dynamic duo out of the bullpen. The dynamic duo in the lineup is Sonny D and Blake Rambush, who is the leadoff man and third baseman for Auburn. Uh, he was a JUCO signee for the Tigers uh, last season in JUCO. He hit 444 and has certainly carried it over to the SEC. He leads the SEC in hits with 66. He's 13th in the country with those 66 hits. Uh, has a hit in 36 of 42 games this year. He has just been
1: phenomenal. What is so impressive to me is on this one team you have a guy that is it's literally almost hitting 500. He's hitting 448 on the season at this point in the season and sony Deshara, Deshara, who is that it's just incredible. And his teammate leads the SEC in hits with 66. Now the difference Getting on base, you talk about you know Sunny D uh, getting on base machine forty five walks, which is phenomenal. So that one two punch is really really good for uh, for this Auburn team that's um, you know can, can swing the bat with the best of them. But I just that stat's incredible four forty eight hitter on the season and Sunny D, but his teammates out hitting him by ten hits. But he does have forty five walks. Just whatever it takes to get on base and. For Rambush, he is 11 to 16 stolen bases so far this season. So he's certainly gotten out a lot, but he's a guy that steals a lot of bags. And then Casey or and Howell uh, is eight of nine in stolen bases. So those are the only two that really are threats uh, in, in terms of the base stealing. Well, and the thing with Sonny D is that
0: pitchers aren't giving him anything to hit because when they do give him something to hit, he hits it a country mile. He absolutely mashes the baseball. So I'll be curious to see how Tennessee pitches him this weekend. D- doesn't have great uh, backup behind him uh, in, in terms of somebody that uh, a team has to be worried about hitting after him in the four hole and the five hole. They have good hitters. Don't, don't get it wrong. Don't get it twisted. Uh, but it's not Trey Lipscomb backing up. Jordan Beck and Drew Gilbert. It's not Drew Gilbert and Trey Lipscomb hitting behind Jordan Beck, which forces pitchers to throw to Jordan Beck. Because if you don't throw to Jordan Beck, okay, well, here comes Drew Gilbert with Beck on. If you don't pitch to, to Gilbert, here comes Trey Lipscomb with Beck and Gilbert on base. And, oh, if you don't pitch to Trey Lipscomb, here's Luke Lipsius and Evan Russell. So <laughs> Luke Lipsius one of the most underrated players in the country, and Evan Russell – one of the most clutch hitters in the history of Tennessee baseball and a guy who's having a really good season offensively. Uh, And this is a separate point on Evan I've been wanting to make, getting a little bit off track. But uh, Evan's power numbers are down this year, but I think he's been a a more well-rounded hitter. I, I think he's been better, a better overall hitter rather than just a power hitter This season, I mean, go back and look at his at bat in the ninth inning uh, that he had against Florida when he singled to load the bases for Christian Moore. Last year's Evan Russell tries to hit a three-run home run, and maybe Evan still was, but uh, it it didn't seem like that because he he was able to punch a a single out to left field. Uh, So Sonny D, Blake Rambush, the the guys that you need to pay attention to. But, I mean, they they have good bats in their lineup, Eric, and uh, aside from... Sonny D and Blake Rambush. They don't have eye-popping stats, but it's a lineup that I noticed has been playing really well of late. Uh, Case and how you mentioned him. He's their starting center fielder, played in 89 straight games, dating back to last season out there in, in center field. He's hitting 305. Uh, Brooks Carlson does hit in the four hole. Uh, he He's a Sanford transfer. In addition to Sonny D, he's hitting 303. Cam Hill, the five-hole hitter, a hit in seven straight games. Uh, Bobby Pierce, a redshirt junior out in right field. Uh, he He's a career 296, or excuse me, that's Brody Moore. I'll get to him uh, in a second. But Bobby Pierce is on a six-game hitting streak, and he was inserted into the lineup a couple of weeks ago at LSU in right field. And since then, he is third on the team with a 339 average. I just mentioned he's on a six-game hitting streak. Brody Moore, the shortstop, a senior, a career 296 hitter, has played in 120 games. Their eight-hole hitter is hitting 314 in SEC play. And then Nate LaRue, their catcher, he's hitting .211 on the season but has started in 15 straight SEC games behind the plate, and he's second on the team with 14 RBIs and third with four homers. In league play, so the thing that stands out to me about this Auburn lineup, aside from the great Sonny D, who is going to be an all American, they have experience, it's full of a bunch of veterans, and they've been swinging the bat really well of late. Don't have eye popping stats for the season, but they've been swinging it really
1: well of late. I mean, it's just well rounded, right? It's a team that's hitting 296 um, overall an 851 ops. It's got a 400 on base percentage, and you know those aren't fantastic, but those are certainly solid. They walk a lot, 211 walks as a team. Now they will strike out as well, so obviously that'll work in favor of Tennessee. But you got the two headed monster out there at the top, but still, it's I I just it it looks like it's a well rounded lineup, Uh, much like Tennessee's is, but Tennessee's is obviously more deadly, and you know any guy can go off and and win you a ball game. I don't think that's the same case here for Auburn, but uh, it, it's, the, it's a team that certainly has you know, done its part this season and you know has gotten contributions from top to bottom.
0: And it's weird. They they have Sonny D, who is one of the best power hitters in the country, but as a team, they're 11th in the SEC in home runs. Fourth-fewest yep. home runs, 43. 43. Uh, yep. Uh, slugging percentage is ninth in the SEC, which is – Towards the bottom, 451, and they strike out a ton. And, and here's another interesting thing. You, you mentioned uh, Blake Rambush, 11 of 16, stealing. He will certainly try to steal this weekend. We know that. Yeah. Uh, but Auburn, as a team, fifth most caught stealing in the SEC on the seventh most attempt. So uh, not a ton of success there for Auburn
1: still trying to steal the bases. 33 of 44 on the season overall, so... Yeah. I mean, and again, the, their best one is, is Rambush, will be pointed out. And Howell's eight of nine, Moore's three of five, but like no one else is, you know, just really jumping off the page here. So 33 or 44 on the season, stone bases. And I, I think anybody that's a pretty good base dealer is going to try to steal on Evan Russell just because, just, just again, position change and all that. And I think he's doing a fine job this season. You talked about his hitting and everything. When you can hit the opposite way, it shows me you're a good hitter. And he's been doing that a little bit more this year, in my opinion, than he's done in years past. Right, and I would say that Auburn is going to
0: try to run on Tennessee's run game, <laughs> if, if 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 run defense, if you want to call it that. Because look, Evan, I've said it all along. Evan's not Yadi or Molina. He's not a game changer. He's not going to throw out guys from from one leg, <laughs> uh, one knee. You know, he's not going to be a, a from his diff- crouch. Right, he's not going to be a difference maker lat or this year, but but he's also not been a liability. He he's been really good at uh, receiving the pitches, which is it, it seems simple to to just catch the baseball, but it's really not that simple, especially when you're dealing with the high powered arms that Tennessee has a, a Burns, a Dolander, a Joyce,
1: a, a Bean, uh, so on and, and you try and so you try forth. blocking baseballs in the dirt at 103. Now that that's that's a challenge right there. Just, Try catching the baseball.
0: I <laughs> ha, ha. I I w- when I I went over to the the team hotel on before Saturday's game to to talk to Chase Dolander for the one on one that I did with him, uh, both the audio version and the the story that I wrote this week. And Evan walks by, and what 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 did you say? I really didn't I, hear what you said. I said flex. <laughs> I'm flexing like you do, uh, <laughs> literally how you flex. Uh, but, uh, Evan was walking by and he was like showing me his hand and it was like all swollen as yeah. can be like he had stuck his hand into a beehive Rudy Gobert style, except Evan got stung on the hand and Rudy got stung on the nose which is a separate conversation for us NBA fans. But uh, <laughs> it's it's been not bothering him. It's it's part of the job, but it's it's been like that for weeks now because he's had to catch so much. He hasn't had the benefit of having a guy p- catch one of the games on the weekend like Pav did last year with Jackson Greer. And on top of the catching with that, I guess swollen hand, sore hand. He's gone up to the plate and, and a group of bad yeah. Through it all, and so. you know,
1: you know, sometimes too, because those aluminum bats, you know, say you get hit on the handles a little bit, it rings. Ooh, I mean, that's that's it's gotta hurt. Yeah, I it's mean, so worst. again, he's he's playing through a lot of pain, and you're right. It's not like he has the luxury. I mean, yeah, he's getting the midweeks off now, which is good, but I mean, you're still playing three straight days. You're catching Ben Joyce twice a weekend at times, and. I mean, the other guys too can, you know, hit up 97, 98 with the right. fastball. And so uh credit to him. But I mean, yeah, it's it's a two-fold thing too. You're catching, but you also gotta go hit. And that's a challenge when your hand is swollen because you're catching uh, the, the heat from these guys. Yes. And my point
0: in bringing up Evan Russell and his ability behind the plate, how I think he has been perfectly fine. Do you want a game-changing catcher back there that can throw guys out? Yes. But though those aren't the cards that presented itself to Tennessee this year. You had a guy transfer in and then choose not to play baseball anymore. You had a, a guy that you thought was going to transfer uh, to Tennessee and then surprisingly signed an undrafted free agent deal and is now hitting 130 in in low A, some, somewhere in the middle of America. Uh, so your, your plans to replace Connor Pavloni did not work out. Evan Russell, great team guy, offers to switch positions, does so, and he has not been a liability. In fact, I would say he's had a pretty solid year back there, given all the circumstances. He's uh, a but, true volunteer, if you ask me. That, that's right. Shout out Evan Russell. Uh, but my ultimate point is that it's just not the catcher. It's, it's just not the catcher. Tennessee's pitchers are so slow to the plate and it was like that last year with Connor Pavloni it was like that the year before it'll be like that next year when Evan Russell is no longer here tennessee's pitchers because of the 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 thought process that is coached to them they are not quick to the plate they're not so they they are putting evan in in not advantageous situations. So uh, as, as your main point earlier was, Eric, I'm sure Auburn will try to run on him. They've tried to, to steal a lot this season, but has not been all that successful uh, doing so. Uh, not, when, not the. I was going to say
1: real quick, not to spin off and, you know, talk about this an awful lot, I mean, that, that seems to be, I'm not going to say it's an issue because Tennessee's won a whole lot of games, obviously. Um, that's a Frank Anderson thing. I mean, if it's year after year, and what goes into these pitchers and, you know, the thought process coming to the plate and all that type of stuff that's been issue the last couple of years. And again, it's not the reason Tennessee is losing games this year, but I mean, that seems to be a Frank Anderson coached thing to where Tennessee pitchers do this, 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 well, they struggle with this every single year. Focus on the hitter,
0: focus on the pitch and what the runners on base do will not matter. Yep. So it, it'll be, be like that for as long as Frank Anderson is around, in my opinion. But uh, Eric, to to wrap up what should be a fun weekend at Lindsey Nelson Stadium this weekend, just what are the key points that that Tennessee needs to take care of uh, in order for for them to handle business?
1: Yeah, uh, intrigued to uh, you know see uh, you know with Tidwell, how long will he go? He went seventy three pitches. Uh, last week against Florida, I would expect more than that if everything goes well. How long will that piggyback look like? Um, you know, with Camden Sewell. So that's something. You know, Tennessee hitters. We something we spoke on earlier. Just you know, work the counts, get get into that bullpen, try to get past that first and that second layer. I know it's going to be tough because they they throw they throw those guys all the time. But you know, try to work into that bullpen a little more because that's when you will have the most success. And uh, just continue to do what you do because you're doing what you do. You're good enough to win every game this series. As I always do, you know, me, I'm not going to predict a sweep, especially this series, because I think Auburn's good. Um, but, you know, when we speak on Sunday night, it will not shock me if Tennessee sweeps because Tennessee is that good. So I'm um, intrigued to see about game two as well with late like, Titwell. How does Drew Beam back bounce back? And then after this weekend, the conversation starts ramping up a little bit. What's this team look like moving forward when, you know, we expect some shakeups? Yep. Uh, next
0: weekend's preview podcast will be far more interesting because Chase Dolander is expected to be back. Blake Tidwell will have two SEC starts under his belt. And then there's old Chase Burns and Drew Beam who are having historic freshman seasons. Uh, so that'll be fun to discuss. But I, I agree with what you were saying, my friend. Uh, if Tennessee handles business, they they're they're going to win the series and probably sweep. And that is the case from here on out. They mm-hmm. they have all the tools to be anybody in the country, and if if they play to their potential, they'll be anybody and everybody in the country. I mean, it's it's really as simple as that. Uh, to to be a little more specific about this weekend, uh, I, I think the starters they they've got to not put the team on their back, but uh, they they've got to set the tone. They're they're going into some pretty big pitching matchups, and um, it, it's not an Auburn lineup that will kill you, but it is an Auburn lineup that that can be effective, even more effective than than most teams in the country. And uh, I I know this is going to sound super simplistic, but because of those two big arms in the bullpen, you you don't want to be trailing late in games. Again, I know that sounds super simplistic, but it's it's the same thing when Mariano was with the Yankees or when Trevor Hoffman's with the Padres or Kimbrell in, in his early days with the Braves. If you're the opponent, you don't want to be trailing in the ninth inning because you're not going to win that game. When, when Mariano is coming in to pitch, it's over. I mean, it is three up, three down, time to go home. And, and look, I, if, if anybody's going to hit off of those Auburn relievers, it'll be Tennessee's hitters in, in this offense. But you still don't want to put yourself in, in that situation. So uh, as is the case every weekend, I, I really think the, the starting rotation will, will dictate the outcome. Chase Burns struggles against Alabama in game one. Tennessee loses. Uh, Chase Dolander, I know he gets hurt in game two, but Camden Sewell comes in, calms the storms. Tennessee goes on to win that game. Drew Beam pitches terrifically on that Sunday. Tennessee wins, as same was the, this past weekend. Drew Beam struggles. Tennessee was on the verge of getting no hit. Chase Burns, Blake Tidwell, they pitch well. Tennessee easily wins those games. So uh, I, I think it'll come down to the starting pitching, especially when you look at some of those pitching matchups that we detailed earlier, Eric, you did let the cat out of the bag. We will be back Sunday evening because now that there are three series remaining after this one, and they are all on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and we'll have a preview pod out on Wednesdays for those weekends. We want to get you the recap pods earlier so for uh the rest of the regular season we'll have a pie for you each and every sunday evening so we will be back with you sunday evening hopefully after a tennessee sweep
1: and in the meantime eric you have a good weekend my friend hey you have a great weekend too buddy and everybody listening have a great weekend and uh we'll talk to you again on sunday that's right eric said it best for eric kane i am ben mckee we hope you all have a great weekend